Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech, seventy-sevenfold. Lamech, according to the book of Genesis, is the fifth generation descendant, the great-great-great-grandchild of Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. This, and the thing that he said to his two wives, is just about all that the Bible tells us about him. And I realize that that is a little slim. But I can't help but feel that there must be some interesting story there, and that there might be just enough clues left for us in the text to build that story. So, what are we supposed to think of Lamech? this man who boasts of committing murder to take vengeance for a wounding, this man who seemed to believe that he was fully justified to take revenge 77 times over, or is it 490 times? For even the smallest slight? Let's find out, shall we? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 2.12 The 77 Times Avenger When they were small, there was nothing that the children of Lamech loved more than the long evenings when the family sat together by the fire and he would tell them the story of his people. They would all gather close around him, his two sons by his first wife, Jabel and Jubal, on one side, and Tubal Cain and Nama, the son and daughter by his favorite wife on the other. Please, father, the eldest would always begin. Please tell us the story of the great Cain who founded all of our ways. Lamech loved nothing more than to tell this tale, but he would always feign reluctance, and each child would have to beg him one after the other. He would only give in when Nama joined in, for she was the youngest, and he could deny her nothing. Many years ago, when the earth was young, he would always begin, there was a wise man named Cain. He was the first to discover a great gift of the gods. Before his time, the people would only eat the grains and nuts and fruits that they found growing alongside their paths. Sometimes the food was there, but oftentimes it was not, and so people did not know from one day to the next if they could eat and they would have to range far and wide to find enough to eat and to sustain their families. But wise Cain saw that if he collected the seeds from the most useful plants and took them back to his home, 
he could plant them and make them grow in more predictable ways. And so that is what he did. With care and some experimentation, he was able to produce hardy and plentiful crops, and he produced them in such abundance that he was even able to lay some of them aside so that his people could eat even when nothing was growing. And so it was that the family and the clan of Cain grew strong and numerous. It was then that Cain created his second great work. He gathered all of his kin together in one place, and he built a city, the first permanent settlement for the sons of men upon the face of the earth. And the people settled down in houses, surrounded by their green fields, and they multiplied and grew strong. It was in that great city of Cain that men finally took on their proper place within society. Women were not needed to go out constantly and gather food far and wide, and so they took their rightful place among their hard-working men. They stayed within the settlement and bore many children to strengthen the tribe. At this point in the story, Lamech's wives, Ada and Zillah, would always interrupt him, knowing that he could go on and on about his ideas of the superiority of men over women. They had both come from tribes where things were different, and women were honored for their wisdom and leadership. So they would talk back, arguing that women could do much more than just birth children, and that things had gone well in the world when women had had a place among the councils of men, and that the world had been more peaceful then. It was an old argument in the household, and the wives and the husband could go back and forth about it for hours. The children, with the exception of Nama, soon tired of it, however, and the boys pleaded with their mothers to let their father just continue the story. But great-grandfather Cain had a brother, he would announce darkly. And Abel, his brother, grew jealous of Cain's success and prosperity. Now, Abel knew little of plants and growing things, but he had a way with the wild sheep and goats that flourished out in the hills. He went and he gathered them into herds that he would make to follow him wherever he went. This took no great intelligence, of course, and it was not hard work like the children of Cain did in their fields. But, as Abel led his herds to places with abundant grasses and protected them from the beasts that would attack them, they grew until they were strong and great in number. And Abel found his own prosperity in the world, and his tribe grew to be strong and great in number as well. But still he was jealous of his brother Cain, and was always looking for ways to disrupt his pleasant life. For the children of Cain lived settled and civilized lives in their city, while the children of Abel were bound to wander far and wide over the face of the earth, and they were constantly seeking for fresh fields of grass to satisfy their hungry herds. And behold, one day Abel brought his herds over a rise, after many months of wandering, and he saw, lying before him, 
the city of Cain, all surrounded on every side with lush green fields that were well tended and irrigated by the waters of the Euphrates. And Abel said to his family, Let us go down into that place, and our animals can eat their fill in those pleasant pastures. And so it was that Cain woke up that morning to look out over his beautiful fields to see that the sheep and the goats had destroyed everything that he had worked for. His young crops were all torn up and ruined, and so he went out and confronted his brother on the edge of the fields. Oh, my brother, he declared, you have no right to graze your herds here in this place, for this land has been given to me by my God, Yahweh. You may graze your animals in the hills and in the wilderness, but this place is ours. We have won it by the hard work of our own hands. But Abel answered him, Do you not know, Brother Cain, that all the lands belong to the God, and not to any people? My God, Yahweh, teaches me that we must feed our flocks in all places under the sun, that they might grow strong. And so the brothers clashed with each other. There was only one way to solve this theological dispute, and that was to consult with the God himself. And so two massive altars were set up to the great God, Yahweh, one for Cain and the other for Abel. Cain had his priests bring forward a gift from the first fruits of his fields, the grains and the vegetables that he had grown. Abel, for his part, selected the first ram that had been born in all of his herds that spring, and prepared the fat portions to be burned. The fires for the sacrifices were started, and the gifts were placed upon them, and then there was an omen. Even today the children of Cain do not dispute what the omen was. The smoke from Abel's offering ascended straight up on high into the heavens, while the smoke from Cain's offering wafted down and burned the eyes of the tribe of Abel. Everyone agreed that these were portentous signs. The dispute was over what they meant. The priests of Abel jumped up and declared that his sacrifice was more acceptable to Yahweh because the God craved the flesh of animals. Therefore, Yahweh agreed with the Abelites that their tasty beasts should graze wherever they chose. But, of course, the priests of Cain knew that this was a false interpretation. The sacred smoke of Cain's sacrifice wafted down, they declared, because it was sanctifying the land around the settlement, and Yahweh was declaring that it belonged only to his kinsmen for all time. So the people contended with each other, and the sacrifices solved nothing. And so it was that Cain said to his brother Abel, Let the two of us go out to the field, and we will settle this face to face. This is something that happened in the open, before all the tribes, and not in secret as the Abelites pretend. The two brothers faced each other, and it was the first combat in the history of the world. In that fight, 
Cain slew Abel because God was on his side. Once the great combat between Cain and Abel was over, and Cain, the victor, stood tall and proud on the field, the tribe of the Abelites was furious. They called down all the curses of Yahweh upon Cain and all of his descendants, declaring that God had said that he had polluted the ground with the blood of his brother and should be allowed to live on it no more. And all of the herders rose up and expelled Cain and all of his children from the land that they had so carefully tended. They swore that they would hound the Cainites so that they wandered the face of the whole earth and could settle in no place, for this was the will and the punishment of Yahweh. And so all the tribe of Cain departed from that place and went into the east. And so it is, from that day unto this, a great enmity has remained between the children of Cain and the children of Abel. The children of Cain did not begin the violence between them, but the tribe gathered together, and they swore in the name of the God that if ever any son of Cain or any member of his tribe was killed, they would exact vengeance seven times over. Seven herders would die if just one farmer was attacked. This, they said, was the will of Yahweh, and we have lived by that code from that day unto this one. That was how Lamech always finished his account. The children loved that story. They never tired of hearing their father tell it. But as they grew older, they realized that it was not just an old story. It was a hard reality that their people struggled under all the time. They were constantly hearing of cousins and uncles who had been killed in herder raids of planter lands. And every time the call would go up, throughout the communities, and other cousins and uncles and grandfathers, and their own father as well, would go out to exact the sevenfold vengeance on the nomadic herders. It should have worked. Their father guaranteed to them that it would surely work some day. As the Cainites demonstrated just how committed they were to avenge every offense the Abelites would be convinced. The assurance of destruction would deter them. They would finally learn to withdraw and leave the farmers in peace. Lamech continually promised that it would soon happen, but it never did. In fact, the opposite happened, 
and the continual threat of sevenfold vengeance only seemed to make the herders attacked more often, with bloodier results. Lamech insisted that there was nothing wrong with their strategy, and the only thing to do was to ratchet up the violence until the Abelites were finally convinced that the Canaanites really meant business. He began to argue in the councils of the planters that they needed to go even further. It is not enough, he declared. Seven times vengeance is not enough. The herders need to feel the sting of our warriors. They need to hurt so badly that they feel like they will never recover. Peace will only come when we triumph over the Abelites, like our great ancestor triumphed over Abel. Let our vengeance be multiplied over and over and over again. Everyone on both sides called it the Great Lamechian Massacre. It started small. There was a market day at a temple sacred to Yahweh, a place of truce where both farmers and herders could come together to trade in goods and where no weapons were allowed. Lamech came to the temple to worship Yahweh there. While he was leaving, a young herder crossed his path. The Abelites claimed that the whole incident was just an accident, of course, but Lamech knew better. He loudly proclaimed that the young man had deliberately fallen into him as he turned a blind corner. What's more, he even more loudly declared that he would have his vengeance for such an insult. Lamech was a pious man. He honored the sacredness of the sanctuary and did nothing for the moment. Instead, he lay in wait at the edge of the sacred precincts until later in the afternoon when he saw the young man leaving and that he was foolish enough to be walking alone with only two slaves. is a reason why the song of Lamech is remembered. He may have sung it the first time to his two wives, Ada and Zillah, but he made sure that the song spread far and wide, until almost every man on the face of the earth had heard it. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. This was how he thought he would do it. He would finally end the generation's old slaughter. He was convinced that it would only be when the herders understood that the consequences of any attack, any affront, would be overwhelming, that the violence would end. Essentially, 
he was daring them to take vengeance for his murder of the young herder outside the sanctuary, and promising that his own revenge would be devastating. And, yes, of course it happened. Tensions were high. Everyone was on edge, and it wasn't very long before an Abelite struck down a Canite in a dispute. Lamech was ready. He quickly gathered the tribesmen, and they targeted the largest nomad camp in the region. The fighting was fierce, but the children of Cain prevailed, and by the time the sun had set, over five hundred Abelite men, women, and children were dead, and their bodies were left for the wild beasts as a warning to all like them that Lamech would keep his promises. Despite Lamech's best intentions, or maybe his worst, the massacre didn't stop the slaughter. Instead of dropping to nothing, the threats of violence and vengeance only kept multiplying, and so they continue to do until this very day. But Lamech was the first to kick the vengeance into high gear, and for that we remember him. He set us down this destructive course that we still follow, and from where there seems to be no exit. Despite the ever-growing violence in the world, Lamech and his wives did manage to raise his children to adulthood. But I cannot say that all of his children honored his path. Some did. Tubal Cain, his only son by Zilla, his favored wife, grew up to become a master of making weapons out of bronze and iron. Because of his efforts, the children of Cain were able to greatly increase the death and destruction that they inflicted on the herder tribes. And yet, the more they killed, the more the herders took their vengeance and destroyed their fields and settlements. Thus did violence continue to spread across the face of the earth until, eventually, Yahweh decided to take desperate measures to stem the tide. So it was with Tubal Cain and his sister, Nama, but the children of the senior wife, Ada, chose a different path entirely. Jubal, the younger, swore that he would never touch even one of the deadly weapons that Tubal Cain produced. Instead, he built himself a lyre and made pipes out of the reeds that grew in the river, and he traveled around in the settlements of both planters and herders and sang songs about his hope that both could live alongside each other in peace and could build up mutual prosperity. Lamech laughed at the sentimentality of Jubal and openly mocked him for being so na naive among the elders. 
but he tolerated what he called his foolishness. He did not feel the same about his eldest son, Jabal. Jabal openly rebelled against his father's campaign of hatred, and even went so far as to marry the daughter of a herder and live among them in a tent. Lamech would never forgive Jabel for this. He never spoke to him again. I have worked under the assumption in this episode that the story of Cain and Abel is not a simple historical tale. Rather than being historical characters, the two brothers seem to represent two archetypes. Cain is the archetypical far farmer, and Abel the archetypical herder. The story circulated, I would suggest, as a memory of ancient enmities between the two groups. It is easy enough to understand why farmers and herders would have clashed in the ancient world. Herders tended to be nomadic, wandering far and wide to find good pastures for their animals, and the well-tended fields of farmers would have been an irresistible temptation to them. So yes, of course, the two groups clashed, and of course it turned violence at times. It also seems to me that the Cain and Abel story began as an independent story. The way that it presently appears in the book of Genesis, when Cain and Abel first appear on the scene, they are only the third and fourth humans on the entire face of the earth. But that idea quickly breaks down as the story progresses, and Cain is not only able to easily find a wife to marry, he is also able to draw enough people together to found a city. So really, the story only fits very loosely with the story of creation that precedes it. The story in Genesis is told from the point of view of the herders. Cain is painted as the villain, and it strongly implies that he murdered his brother impulsively and out of jealousy. But I figured that farmers would have had an entirely different perspective on the clash between the two groups, and I wanted their version of the story to be told through their biblical spokesman, Lamech. Of course, to say that their version needs to be heard is not the same as saying that it is necessarily the better story. The story is important because it is a story about the problem of violence, a story that ancient people likely told in an attempt to understand why violence between tribes and groups could so easily spiral out of control. That is definitely a problem that we still need to understand today, and that is why I believe that we still need to hear this story, and even hear it in new ways. The root cause of violence that it explores is vengeance, the insidious idea 
that the only way to deal with violence is by confronting it with more violence. It starts with violence against Cain being answered seven times over and progresses until five generations later the multiplier has grown to 77 times. And it is all, by the way, about human vengeance, not divine. I know that many people have read the story as saying that God is the one who will answer violence against Cain, but God doesn't actually say that. Only that whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. Lamech's story makes it clear that he understands that vengeance is to be taken by himself and his tribe. And a final word about that number. The Hebrew of Genesis 4.24 is clear, and that number there is 77 times. Lamech is the 77 times avenger. Confusion about that number only crept in when the Old Testament was first translated into Greek and it became 70 times 7, or 490, in the most popular Greek translation. That confusion was then carried over into the New Testament, in the Gospel passage, where Jesus borrows from what Lamech says to answer Peter's question about how many times he should forgive a member of the church. Of course, the specific number of the multiplier doesn't matter, but the link between the two passages does. We are left with a choice to make. Lamech has shown us that multiplying vengeance and answering violence with more violence only leads to more violence and makes the world a much more dangerous place. Will we follow the path of Jesus instead and multiply mercy and forgiveness? Where would that lead us? That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. I'm now working on a monthly schedule for this podcast, and so the next episode will come out the last Wednesday in October, which, yes, I recognize is Halloween. Hmm. I wonder, is it time to do a biblical ghost story? We will see. But I do hope that if you enjoyed this story, you will remain scribed, subscribed and find out. In the meantime, do tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for retelling the Bible is Ada. The mood music for this episode is Final Battle of the Dark Wizards. Both are by Kevin MacLeod licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at incompetech.com. Send your requests, comments, and questions to at Retelling Bible on Twitter or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.